Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. How you doing tonight? I'm just hanging out, having fun, podcasting with my girl. Oh yeah? Yeah. So you're on your break this week. Yeah, it's my long break. We've talked a little bit about your job. You work swing shifts, which really sucks. But you do get a nice like eight-day break. Yeah, essentially 15 on, 15 off in the and month. So we've been enjoying a couple of days together. Yeah, I think you're tired of me already, aren't you? Working on our podcast, which just brings us so much joy. It does. It does. Uh, we have like a, it comes up, people ask us about our podcast. So that's kind of cool. It is cool. Yeah, that's yeah, happened a little so bit. We appreciate all of you who are listening right now. We appreciate each and every one of you. Are you going to give them all a kiss, Dylan? I would. He's going to put in his tiny man bun and kiss you all I, look, right on the mouth. Look, what? okay, I, I want to shut something down right now. I don't wear a man bun. Baby. Okay? That was the one time I did my hair in a fashion that might have resembled a man bun. It was a man bun. But it'll never happen again. Don't let him fool you. It's not in a man bun right now. True. Matter of fact, right now it looks great. Lies. And um, so, yeah, we're done with that. That's been put to bed. And if you say it again, they'll know you're telling a fucking lie. Well, it looks like right now, are you wearing a banana clip? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> That's fucked up. Um, but uh, no, I love banana clips. I remember banana clips. I've got one in there. Yeah, but I'm not wearing one. But yeah, well, I think so. It's neon pink. Mm. We need to get a picture of this. Okay. Okay, we're going to post that. All right. Are you ready to get started? Yeah. Uh, what are we going to talk about tonight? I think it is uh, actually a version of a case we haven't done yet. No, not really. This is kind of totally different. Yeah, I yeah. think so. It's a very interesting story. We've done the other way, but this is the different way. Well, on the morning of November 6, 1994, two tourists in the Great Smoky Mountains Park of Tennessee made a gruesome discovery. There was a black Jeep that was found at the bottom of a 30-foot embankment. Kelly Lovera, a math professor, was found covered in blood lying in the back seat of the SUV. The tourists thought it looked like an accident, but when police arrived, they discovered Kelly had severe head trauma as though he'd been beaten. Plus, he was not in the driver's seat, and a fall down the embankment would not have positioned him as he was found. Yeah, if, uh, so if it just rolled down the embankment and crashed into something, it sounds like? Yeah. Yeah, unless you're flipping and rolling, then you're probably going to be in the seat you started in, don't you think? Definitely, and we'll touch a bit more on this as the case evolves. Okay. So Kelly's widow, Shane Lavera, was born in 1966. Her parents were teenagers themselves, and that relationship didn't last very long. So Shane's single mom struggled for some time until she met and married a local bank president. Shane went from struggling to being showered with pretty much anything she wanted. Charmed life. She began living this life of privilege. She was a good student, very active, was president of the ski club and editor of the yearbook when she was in high school. She was always well-dressed, drove around in a convertible sports car, and was essentially leading a life that would make most teenage girls envious. Yeah, I want to lead that life now. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah. You want to be president of the ski club? Well, yeah. Get me a, a sports car convertible and I just have a carefree life and I just got to like do ski shit a little bit a couple times a week. <laughs> right? However, there were two sides to Shane. She was not only the popular, successful student, but she was also known as a party girl who liked boys and was looking for a good time. Oh, that sounds horrible. Poison song. 
That sounds horrible. She don't need nothing but a good time. Okay. Sounds very 80s to me. In May of 1984, after an investigation into unethical loan practices and fraud at the bank, Shane's stepfather committed suicide. Oh, so I guess the fraud was true. There was a scandal in the small town where they lived, so not only did Shane have to deal with the tragic death of her stepfather, but also the rumors and gossip. They lost money. They lost social standing. All of this was very devastating for Shane. She was really embarrassed. And so everybody was talking about it. Everybody was talking about it. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be hard to stay around there. Well, left with these outstanding debts and this tarnished reputation, Shane and her mother struggled to the point that Shane had to drop out of her university program. She did manage to enroll in a small school in Missouri, which helped her not only escape this local gossip machine, but she was able to finish her education. And it was at this college she met the tall, dark, handsome 24-year-old math major who was also a member of the marching band, Kelly Lavera. So they went from living it up on daddy's fraud money, it sounds like. Right. Um, no offense, but sounded like the charges were true. He couldn't face it. He killed himself, honestly. And they're living it up. He's got all plenty of money. They're having fun. Big fancy house. Big fancy house. All the trimmings. All the gravy dripping off the sides. You know, all the stuff nobody else has. Most everybody else doesn't have. Two, bam. He kills himself. Big scandal. They lose everything. Yeah. Okay. That sucks. That must have been a hard transition. Definitely. Shane meets Kelly and the pair was immediately drawn to each other. It was seemingly Shane's first real romance. I mean, as I mentioned before, she was kind of a party girl. She had a lot of boyfriends, but they were very casual. Boys of summer. Yeah. Well, within a month, this couple moved in together. So things are, are moving along pretty fast. And Shane, still reeling from her stepfather's death, likely sought comfort in Kelly. And Kelly also came from a broken home. His parents had divorced and he thought Shane, you know, he was finding some security in his relationship with Shane. You know, he looked to her as well for comfort, for stability. So they were kind of leaning on each other. Within six months, they were married. Moving fast. Moving really fast. And they spent five years living in Missouri. Kelly became a math teacher after college graduation, and Shane put her career on hold to have a child. In 1987, their first child was born, and soon after, they had a second. Oh, soaking in that thing. Dylan, shut up. So so inappropriate. Oh. Well, it was at this time the couple decided to move back to her hometown of Sevierville, Tennessee. I lived there. You did? Yeah. Yeah. For a little while. And for folks who are familiar with that area, Sevierville is very close to Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, heavily touristy areas, Sevierville, home of Dolly Parton. Yeah, used to you could get out to Sevierville and get away from that crap, but now it's grown all the way out there. It's true. (laughs) Well, Kelly was an outdoorsman, and he really loved the idea of living in a cabin in the woods. So moving back to Sevierville, I mean, I guess he was imagining like he was going to be Abe Lincoln. Okay. Like in a log cabin. So he's hand... Chopping wood and... Hand hewing the logs and... Yeah. Making, you know, yeah, okay. However, Kelly and Shane could not have more different goals. Kelly wanted to live the simple life, cabin in the woods, where he could enjoy, you know, being outside, surrounded by nature, wife, kids, just a simple guy. 
her hoeing the garden rows with him kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, he's a, ma- he's a math teacher. You know, he's just wanting a simple existence. She wants to go back to what she had, I bet. Well, Shane had champagne tastes on a natty ice budget. There you go. She had racked up a lot of debt over the course of their marriage, buying expensive clothes, shoes, going out, fancy restaurants, nice furniture, nice cars. So they definitely were living beyond their means. Well, yeah, you know, teachers notoriously are underpaid. Well, you know, she had grown up with money. I guess it wasn't an easy adjustment to go from being a princess to basically being lower middle class. A pauper. A mom with two kids and a husband who earned teacher's pay. Yeah, with the one income. Exactly. And you got to think, this is the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, so probably even less income for teachers. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But, you know, I would say uh, one could argue right quick, uh, the buying power of the dollar may have been a little stronger. You know, $20 may have seemed to go a little further, but still, it's one income, teacher income. No one's ever accused teachers of being rich. That's true. Well, actually, no, I have heard someone accuse a teacher of being rich once. Oh, well. I'm yeah, sure. I worked for this asshole who owned a newspaper, and um, there were some teachers who were protesting about, you know, low pay, and he was like, yeah, they're way overpaid for what they do. Oh, uh, all they do is mold the next generation of citizens. Yeah, I was like, this man is ridiculous <laughs> and completely out of touch, but we oh, won't go there. He's somewhere being an asshole right now. I'm sure he is sitting in his, like, multi-million dollar home. In Tennessee... Kelly was able to secure a job teaching at a community college, but with his meager salary and the huge mountain of debt they'd incurred over the course of the marriage, of course, he had gone back to grad school, so they had student loan debt, they had all of her credit card debt, you know, things were financially not stable for these folks, so they could only afford a small apartment, and the neighborhood where they moved was called Frog Alley. And it was full of singles and young people. It was kind of known for its party atmosphere. Yeah, I want to go down there and hang out. So this is probably not an area where most people would move if they had two small children. Right. This is like, you know, where college students, grad students, young singles, young professionals would probably want to hang out. Where everything's a little cheaper and they're just getting started out. So here they are in the heart of... uh... Probably the wrong type of neighborhood for them. Like Bourbon Street? Yeah. Just imagining Frog Alley's like Bourbon Street, where there's like, you know, beads being thrown and topless chicks out on balconies. There's titties and beads. Yeah. (laughs) All the time. You definitely want to go there, don't you? Oh, well, I just want to make sure about, you know, our assumption of what Frog Alley is like is is truthful. We'll try to go visit next time we're in Knoxville. Oh, I thought Um, we were going to Bourbon Street. I'll take you there. Okay. Yeah. Shane being the former party girl, she fit right in. Now, Kelly was a bit more cautious, wondering how this new atmosphere was going to affect his kids. Kelly slowed down on the partying when they first moved in. I guess they kind of were, you know, being a little social. And so after a while, you know, he's kind of like, I I work. I have to be up early. We've got got kids. kids. We can't be doing this all the time. But not Shane. She kept right on partying and being the fun-loving, gracious host, often throwing get-togethers at the couple's tiny apartment. Attendees said Shane would drink, gamble, and often flirted with other men. Wow, that's that is qualities that I look for in a woman. A hard drinking, hard gambling broad that flirts with other men. Yeah, as a lot. As, as long as they're your friends, right? Well, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. Oh, okay. I prefer to <laughs> she flirts with strangers. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, it was at one of these parties. She met a former Navy sailor. Gotta watch out for the sailors. You do? Because, um... We get you. They're wet all the time. Suck you right in. They're semen. Well, this guy's name was Brett Ray. And Ray came from money as well. His father was a newspaper publisher. And he had a fairly successful Navy career until he got into a fight with a superior officer and got discharged. Okay, so he's got a bit of a bad boy, but my daddy's got money thing. Yeah. Okay, I can see it's not going good. Well, Ray didn't really have any drive or desire to maintain his previous lifestyle. So even though he came from money and he had a pretty decent career in the Navy, he just wasn't really motivated to kind of keep that up. He was mostly interested in being wild, drinking on Saturday nights, raising hell, driving around in his big old pickup truck. Okay. You know, yeehaw. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's the early 90s, so I'm assuming he's probably got the 38 Special cranked up. It's not quite Kid Rock time yet. Unfortunately. He's just partying down. Okay. Friends who knew Shane said that she could, they, you know, they could see this attraction a mile away. That she definitely was into bad boys growing up throughout her life. And that this guy Ray just totally fit the bill. Uh, Family and friends started to see trouble brewing. Shane was still spending money the couple didn't have. She was partying almost every night, and Kelly was struggling to pay bills, take care of the family, provide, and some people even asked Kelly if he had considered divorcing Shane, and he said no, he didn't want to leave his kids. I mean, he'd came, you know, from a broken home. He knew what a bad divorce was like, and he just was not willing to put his kids through that. But yeah, it's got to be hard if you're you're working, you got the kids, you know, it sounds like he might be a little more concerned about, you know, is it a good environment for the kids and you know you go to work is my old about almost said old lady i don't know if that's offensive if is my woman you know doing the right thing when you're you know working all you can to pay the bills and on top of that but no she's spending money you don't have she's hanging out all the damn time probably doing it while he's working too let's be honest yeah that's not good trouble brewing trouble is brewing in her loins that's what's (laughs) happening Well, by November 5th, 1994, things were not great between the couple. Probably much to Kelly's chagrin, Shane had decided to take advantage of warm weather and decided to throw another party. Yay! The usual crowd had gathered to drink, play cards. There were also, like, members of a motorcycle gang hanging out there. That livens any party up. It does. Probably decked out in leather, being cool. Yeah, I wonder if it was a real motorcycle game. animals for everyone. Because those motor- motorcycle club guys are funny. <laughs> are they? Yeah, because they're like, act like they're part of a motorcycle gang. But it's really just like six guys who happen to have a motorcycle. And they want to wear like matching jackets? Yeah, well, just a, a, a little side note. Yeah, I met a couple of them one time. Like, at the, a, like the pink ladies? At our local uh, bar in the area and i was like oh what's going on guys and it was funny because they had like the leathers and stuff on but i'd seen them get out of like a 85 honda yeah in the parking lots which i thought was funny i was like why didn't you ride your motorcycles and they're like hey uh, i'm um i'm biscuit and he prefers to go by stitch so i was like okay your motorcycle gang names are biscuit and stitch 
Right. Again. Okay. Not very threatening at this point, but you know. What are their names supposed to be? Like Yakety Yak and like Machine Gun Joe or something? T-Bone and fucking The Strangler. I don't know. It's not. (laughs) How many guys are going around the country running whores and guns up and down the West and East Coast, Biscuit and Stitch? Not really happening. Well, now you're just stereotyping people. No, these guys were stupid. But anyway. (laughs) So, did they have a reason why they weren't in, why they were in this 85 Honda and not like on a badass bike? No. Well, the guy kept on. He said, well, we kind of run Haywood County. And I was like, oh, I said, um, which I found interesting because if you run a county, you don't kind of do it. Like you're sure you do it. Like you, you're a little more assertive about it. Like, no, we run this bitch. And I was like, oh, so you like traffic guns and women? Through Haywood County, what are you doing? Drugs. And yeah, drugs and stuff. Because at the time, so I was a fan like of Sons of Anarchy. One percenters. Yeah, right. And they were just like, oh, no, we did like Toys for Tots. That's what we're doing this weekend. So, yeah. But, but they run the county? But they run the county, kind of. They kind of run the county. <laughs> okay. So, Biscuit and Stitch, really... guys, watch out for them. Steer clear. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we have some motorcycle gangsters yeah, here at this party. Yeah, running this party. Okay, and... um, They're running up in this motherfucker, like I said, making some balloon animals, like, just having a great time, maybe doing some uh, keg stands, who knows. Yeah, making sure that everybody gets home responsibly and safely. Well, Kelly had been feeling depressed. People, you know, were reporting that he had just been really gloomy, had not been himself. He obviously was, you know, feeling troubled. The marriage was not where it needed to be. Yeah. He's working. So he just got really drunk at this party, like just hammered. He's saying, fuck it. Pretty much. And passed out on the couch fairly early because he drank so much. It's not a good thing. The party continues. He's passed out on the couch. And it was the next day, November the 6th, that Shane began asking neighbors and friends if they knew where Kelly was. Yep. She said she had not seen him since early morning hours. Um, and had no idea where he was. And so this was around 9 a.m. that these tourists found Kelly's Jeep. The crash site was suspicious. Again, there were no no skid marks on the road, no disturbed gravel, and the vehicle had to drive up over a curb to get down that 30-foot embankment, and there was just no disturbances, which cops were like, you know, it would have been kind of messed up if there was an accident. How do you fly off the road or out of a parking lot? And not leave some tire marks. Yeah. Some tire marks into the grass. Yeah, why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so just immediately looked suspicious. When investigators showed up at the apartment to tell Shane what had happened, she told them that, you know, the evening before they had thrown a party, Kelly had gotten really drunk and passed out, maybe around 1 a.m., maybe before that. She had gone out for food with Brett Ray and others and returned home sometime maybe between 3 and 4 a.m. She said Kelly woke up in this jealous rage, demanding to know where she had been. They argued over Shane's affair with Brett, which she repeatedly denied. And the more she said she wasn't having an affair with Brett, that they were just friends, Kelly was growing angrier and angrier. She said he grabbed his keys and stormed out of the apartment. Seeing as how their two children were in bed, Shane didn't follow him because she had to stay at home with the kids. I mean, you got to consider, okay, that makes sense. It's pre-cell phone days. She can't just call him and be like, get your ass back here. 
Right. You know, he's left. She's home with the kids. Yeah, if one of, one or the other of you leaves and one's left with the kids, what are you going to do? If right. you don't have two, you know, who knows if they even have two vehicles. Well, in the meantime, the accident scene had left these investigators questioning the validity of, validity of this car crash. The Jeep had crashed into a tree head on, but the body was lying in the back seat in a pool of blood. While he may have been thrown like during the crash, the blood was clearly disproving this theory. There was nothing in the driver's seat, nothing on the steering wheel, dashboard. No face smacking the window, dash, nothing. So not only was there blood like everywhere in the back seat, it was primarily leaking kind of out of the tailgate of this Jeep. So detectives then noted that his head had some trauma and they pretty quickly saw that Kelly had been beaten and pretty severely. And yeah, he's going to get banged up in this car crash, but this was like intense head injury trauma. Yeah, they can tell the difference between that. Well, immediately they knew that this whole scene was staged. You don't tend to hit six or seven times to your face in a car wreck, you know what I mean? Like whatever energy or stopping of energy happens, happens quickly, bam, you know, a strike or two. Yeah, you don't typically get hit nine times in the face when you have a car wreck. Well, physics, yeah. Right. And and being thrown, I mean, if it wasn't wearing a seatbelt, he might have gotten thrown into the back seat, but there would have been some blood in the front seat. I mean, you know, it just, the whole thing was really suspicious. Yeah, it sounds suspicious. They decided that somebody had beaten Kelly to death and then drove his Jeep to the Great Smoky Mountains Park looking for some sort of steep drop to create this fake accident scene. And after interviewing Shane, investigators wanted to talk to Brett Ray. But before they could track him down, his friend Jim Burney ratted him out. Burney had received a call from Ray in the early morning hours stating that he was stranded and needed a ride. Jim Burney went to pick him up and found Brett Ray covered in dirt. At this time, Brett Ray admitted to driving Kelly off the embankment. Wow. He confided to his friend... He was totally, madly, insanely crazy in love with Shane. Well, I guess so. You don't. And he was just willing to do whatever it would take to be with her. Oh, God. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> you don't tell people shit like that. You don't? Well, yeah, they're not going to keep. They're not. I don't even know the right word. Pussy whooped. <laughs> I don't know. They're not into this sh- crazy shit like you are. Look, I'll do any. I'll kill for this bitch. I love her so much. Well, Brett Ray said Shane had offered him more sex and a lot of money if he'd help her kill Kelly. Oh. Brett was up for the challenge because he had developed such strong feelings for her, and the two had plans to take money that they were going to get from his life insurance policy and run off together. Oh. <sighs> okay. Police find Brett Ray soon after, and they arrest him. Um, He's charged with murder, and during the interrogation, he admitted to being at the party, but said he had no idea what had happened to Kelly. A second police interview had Shane being pretty uncooperative, and she immediately retained a lawyer. Oh, that's usually a good sign. By November 7th, two days after this party had taken place, an autopsy confirmed what investigators already suspected that Kelly had been beaten. The head trauma had caused his brain to bleed and swell, ultimately making him brain dead. And examiners determined it was likely a baseball bat, which caused the injuries. That's brutal. Well, a search warrant 
of course, was issued, and investigators could see that the apartment appeared to have been freshly cleaned. Okay. So it's spotless. They can smell Lysol, Clorox. Lots of it. Yeah. They sprayed luminol in the apartment to uncover those blood stains. And guess what? Blood everywhere. Detectives found a path that led down the hall and into the kid's bedroom and out a window. So that was the murder scene, it, sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like it started in the living room. So it sounds like possibly he's passed out on the couch. And yeah. dude takes a ball bat and goes to his head with it. Possibly. Well, you got to think the kids are in the house sleeping. That's crazy. The kids are in their bed. So I'm thinking, did they drag Kelly's body through the house and then slide him out this window while the kids are in bed asleep? Well, just hitting him with a fucking ball bat. That's not the a whole quiet thing. Is thing. Crazy, right? I mean, that is a messy, loud. There's no telling what those poor kids might have heard. Well, in the meantime, neighbors are telling the cops about the affair. It seemed like everyone knew that Shane and Brett were hooking up. Okay. There's no secret in Frog Alley. They even uncovered a recording on Brett's answering machine, which confirmed the affair. Ah, old school answering machine. It was a pretty spicy message. He probably recorded the tape and played it, or rewound the tape and played it and shit. Probably. And she's like, oh, big daddy, you're doing so good. Is that what you do? Well, that might be how she said it. When your boyfriend leaves you a message, you just play it over and over again? Well, not my boyfriend, but my wife. (laughs) I don't leave you messages like that. You say it just like that. Ooh, big daddy. No, I don't. She doesn't. She's right, folks. I'm mostly just like, take that fucking man bun out of your hair and Uh, make me a sandwich. Again. (laughs) Relentless. Okay, let's get back to the story. Okay. It was after Kelly's death that this morning widow Shane was calling around asking about his life insurance policy. That is always a good way to approach this. Yeah, I mean, just right after the calling next day. friends, co-workers, people who were employed at the community college. Hey, what do you know about this life How insurance? How does life insurance How thing does it work? work? Who do I need to get in How touch with? How quick can I get it? Yeah, all okay. of those things. Yeah. Well, like most policies, Kelly's paid out if, you know, double if he died in an accident. So his policy had been for $70,000. So I'm guessing, so he paid out like, what, 140000 then if it was right. double that? Yeah. Which in 1994 money, $140,000 is a pretty good chunk of change. Now it's why pretty good in today's Why are these people so stupid? Why are they so stupid? Because if you have life insurance, I don't care what it's through, it just, it pays out. You just let the process work its way. You don't ever... Call and rush life insurance. I mean, so are you trying to tell people that if they're not thinking about committing a murder for money, that they should not call and ask about it? Well, if they are <laughs> thinking about a murder for money, maybe no. Oh, you can't no. You can't oh, tell them what to do. Yeah. What? Okay. Okay. Dylan's going to make you a list on all the things to do to not get caught. Well, I, well, I'm just saying. You know, the money comes. Just shut the hell up. Keep your mouth shut. Well, it was about a week after the accident that police arrested Shane in connection with her husband's murder. Yeah, so they've already nailed her down. Well, they determined that Brett Ray had beaten Kelly to death. He took the body, loaded it up in the Jeep, and went to dispose of it, while Shane stayed behind and frantically cleaned the apartment, as you can imagine. We just watched the horror movie The House That Jack Built Yeah. with Matt Dillon, and he is like an obsessive, compulsive serial killer. Yeah, yeah. So he keeps like returning to crime scene to like clean it. 
Yeah, and he has crazy. all these, like, he keeps imagining blood everywhere, and he'll go back in the house and, like, check and try to clean it more. And I just feel like that would have, that would be me in a situation <laughs> like that. Like, I would get caught because I'd still be there, like, days later trying to make sure everything was clean. Yeah, extra clean. Yeah. <laughs> the trial took place in 1996, and, of course, they had a mountain of evidence, witnesses, people testified, um, in Brett's trial, they tried the two together. Really? Yeah, which Probably. is a little unusual. That is a little unusual. It might be a cost savings thing, or they felt like they were so closely connected that a lot of evidence would be the same, maybe? Well, the case against Shane had little evidence and was mostly circumstantial. Well, all the more reason to put her there in the courtroom with him, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Brett pleaded with his lawyers to let him take the rap. He was just madly in love with Shane. He didn't want her to get into trouble. He didn't want her children to not have their mother. Okay. I mean, it was definitely a case of fatal attraction. Sounds like it. And Ray's defense attorney would later say that he knew Brett Ray was just obsessed with Shane. That there was just no other word for it. It was obsession. Must could tell when he talked about her. You know, just the way he acted. Well, Shane had a different take. She was willing to throw Brett under the bus, saying she had nothing to do with Kelly's murder... And he had to have killed Kelly while she was asleep. I mean, bludgeoned with a baseball bat, and you don't wake up and hear it. Yeah, and uh, you don't see the scene. I yeah. mean, yeah, you don't call cops, hey, somebody just beat my man to death. Yeah, fuck her. Well, and the next day she's out like, oh, have you seen my husband? Yeah, right. Like, so he just kills her man and then cleans the house and she just doesn't even know any of this happened. But it doesn't surprise me that she's like that towards him. Well, she says Kelly was asleep on the couch, Brett stopped by to talk, and that the two ended up in a fight. She testified that Brett picked up one of the children's baseball bats and began hitting Kelly with it, but it was only after Kelly was trying to attack him and attack her, and that Brett was really just trying to keep Kelly at bay because Shane was afraid of him. And she said they were not lovers, they had never been, they were only neighbors and friends. And right. that the affair was just, like, made up and people gossiping. Right. Everything everybody else said was a lie. Well, little did she know, after the two had posted bail and they were released from jail initially, a severe county deputy had followed them around and ended up following them into the mountains where they were spotted having sex. So wow. confronted by this evidence, she told the court she consented to sex with Brett Ray only after he had threatened to implicate her in the murder and that she was blackmailed by him. Oh, it was just that one time. It was just the one time. Okay. So during the trial, another man Shane had been sleeping with named Wade Hill came forward. He was a neighbor in Dude, Frog Alley. It's like an episode of Mari. It's like Peyton Place. Yeah, no shit. Well, he said Shane had asked him about some different types of poisons that might go undetected in a body. And he kind of thought she was kidding around. But it seemed that Shane moved on from Wade when she found out he wasn't willing to help her kill her husband. Wade testified that Shane was frustrated with Kelly, the marriage, said he was cramping her style, and that she wanted to get rid of him. Okay. And so Wade Hill was like, yeah, this is a red flag, and I'm not interested in this. And he so, did the normal thing you would do. Yeah. Like, gee, look at the time. <laughs> yeah, I've got to go. It's been fun. Yeah, right? That's when she kind of moved on to Brett Ray. Both Shane and Brett were found guilty of first-degree murder, and they cut deals in exchange for parole in 25 years. Nice. Yeah. Shane never admitted to the crime. She's tried to appeal her sentence a couple of times, but it's been thrown out. 
Brett and Shane will be eligible for parole in 2025, and Kelly's mother got custody of the two children. Well, I can only imagine what those poor little kids were exposed to during all this fighting and arguing and, you know, hearing things said and God forbid what they heard the night their father was murdered in the living room. Yeah, I mean, I think they were still fairly young, but that's got to be damaging. While they were in prison, or while they've been in prison, while in prison, Shane has since taken classes through Liscombe University, and she even wrote a letter to the university president about the importance of education to reform and rehabilitate inmates. Oh, okay. Well, now she, um, well I'm glad she found a cause later on. Yeah. This is what I never understand about these spouses who murder, and it's typically driven by things like money. It is. They almost always get caught, and they're not smart about it. And, I mean, I just feel like this whole crime was really stupid. It wasn't smart. It wasn't well-planned. wasn't well-executed. And they're typically like that. They're not like they talk about this with this other person. It's these, these planned, you know, hits, if you will, but with these other people involved. And they're always the stupidest fucking plans, you like, know? Like, hey, I'm going to kill somebody, and then I'm going to call my friend to come pick me up, and then I'm going to tell him all about it. Like, who does that? Well, I'm, I'm saying it's what like... What are you, a, like a gossipy 13-year-old girl? You're so giggly, you can't wait to get it out? I mean, it's just like, seriously... You're a grown-ass man who just killed somebody. Why would you tell somebody about it? If something just happens out of the blue and you're in this situation, all of a sudden you don't have control of all the factors, then yeah, I could see it being this fucked up, crazy, you know, half-ass story. But when you've been thinking about it, you're actually planning it, conspiring with someone else, and you can pick the time, the place, and everything that happens before and after it. And they fuck it up every time. Well, and what gets me, too, are these women who manipulate these men into, like, doing their bidding. Like, for example, I think of the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case, and I'm not saying that the mother didn't deserve something because she was fucking crazy. But it's like this girl manipulates this guy into coming down, killing her mom, and then he carries the brunt of the punishment. Yeah. But But, he would have never done it. But it was her plan. If it wasn't for her. And it's the same kind of thing with this, I think. Here's Shane, very manipulative. Gets this guy who's absolutely obsessed, will do anything for her. She must have some of that ill nana. Must have. Takes complete advantage of him. Right. And then totally throws him under the bus. And he's dumb enough to be like, I love her. I'll I'll do anything. all the punishment. I will do anything. I will have prison sex for 30 years for her. It's crazy. I don't get it. And all for $70,000? Maybe all? 140000 Is 140000 really taking someone worth so, taking someone's life, making your children essentially parentless? Orphans, yeah. And then you go spend the rest of your life in and prison? And then you don't even get the fucking money, and you go to prison. It's stupid. Why are you so stupid? Why are you so stupid? I don't know. <laughs> well, please. you know, fortunately, they got caught. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. We're saying um, kind of like how could... But um, I'm glad they get caught because it's fucking stupid. It is stupid. It's horrible. Yeah. It's evil. Let's be honest. That's the person you supposedly love and make a home with and have children. And I mean, could you, and all these crazy shit out there in the world to be killed by your spouse? I know. I mean, what the fuck? It's pretty fucked up. It is fucked up. And um, so, yeah, that was the difference of our story. I think we've done um, husband killing wife a time or two. But now here we had wife fucking up. And killing her husband. 
Fatal Attraction. Using that yo nana <laughs> on Brett. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mountain Murders, and we'll be back with more true crime.